Well, welcome back to another episode of Bite-Sized Virtue. This is episode, I believe, nine, but I have lost count, so I apologize if I'm in error there. And once again, we're continuing the discussion with Clortos Dragon. Um, I had hoped, and again, an apology here, I had hoped to have a spam, spam, spam humbug episode recorded, but things have just been that busy. I haven't been able to get together and record a full-length spam 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 episode uh well in a couple of weeks now but we should have that fixed this friday so you should be getting a new one next week we'll be continuing the aging gamer topic and hopefully wrapping it up and i say hopefully well partly because i mean we've devoted now or we will have devoted three episodes to it by the time it airs but also because i actually do want to change the format of spam 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 humbug somewhat and uh i'm really looking forward to uh, getting towards an opportunity, getting to an opportunity to do just that. But for now, back to the discussion with Clortos. I've had to discover within myself um, reserves of empathy and in fact an ability to empathize at all that I had previously doubted existed. <laughs> um, you know, just in terms of... Even like, you know, tonight, I mean, my daughter had some <clears throat> concerns from the playground in the classroom that she wanted to talk about work through. And, you know, like it requires a real level of empathy, which I'm glad that I can muster so that I can be with her in those moments and help her through them. But it's just, you know, you're, you're exactly right that, um, if, if Richard Garriott had, you know, been, a father at the time that he was composing Ultima Four, how the eight virtues were shaped, how they were presented, might well have been different because, you know, you really do change as a person when, um, when you have a child to deal with and you have a child's questions to answer and you have a child's worries and concerns to address. Um, the the things that you can rise to the occasions as you can rise to and the the acts of empathy and sympathy and compassion and mercy that you're capable of will probably surprise you um even if you know you're already normally that sort of person it'll still probably surprise you uh just how you can manifest those things for your children and that shapes everything else around you too right because it's not well, hopefully it's not just, you know, a switch that, oh yeah, well, now I'm empathetic, now I'm not. That's probably not healthy. Uh, and it does, it carries into the rest of your life. So one thing too, that I thought was interesting, uh, probably going to have to start wrapping up here soon, but you know, one thing too, that I thought was interesting is, uh, you know, talking again about, um, anti-virtues, right? You mentioned Serpentile before, and of course, in Serpentile, we see the inhabitants of Fawn, who shun the principle of love, and preferring instead to follow the way of beauty. Now, that's a little bit interesting, because of course, you know, relating back to real-world concepts of love, obviously, they're stepping away from the Greek agape, and much more towards the Greek eros. I mean, Fawn is very much a, about sensuality, uh, you know, it's <laughs> sensuality and lust seem to be the animating principles of fawn. 
um, beauty being raised over everything. And of course, anything that isn't beautiful is summarily condemned. But even there, it's actually still interesting to me that, you know, and this is almost actually because, I mean, in Serpentile, they got virtue right in one sense because, you know, what were actually the virtues, the the balance, were <coughs> that midpoint between a chaos principle and an order principle, right? Um, you know, when you had balance between this order principle and its corresponding chaos principle, you had a virtue. And otherwise, you had one of two different vices, depending on which direction you were going. <coughs> but in spite of that... We still just saw love as being opposed by despising stuff. Um, so, missed opportunity there. Pity. <laughs> maybe, maybe if they had uh, had a few more months, right? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about the test of love now, too. Though on the Isle of Fire. Um, Thinking, thinking. Uncovering rocks to find snakes. Uh, no, wasn't that? Oh, the, that's the uh, night's test. Night's test Excuse me. Yeah, no, yeah, now yeah, I'm, yeah. Jump, sorry, I'm jumping between games now. I was talking about Serpentile, but the Isle of Fire is in Ultima 7. Uh, right. The well, the test of love there, you know, I mean, it's, it's the two golems. And I guess one is, in fact, you know, completely self-sacrificing uh, for his brother. And then, of course, his brother wakes up and is just like... Uh, look, uh, we could also do this, but of course that's kind of the, the poignancy of that is that only one of the two golems is particularly learned and he happens to be the one who's dead. Uh, the one who's alive, you know, is much more simple, uh, person, almost childlike. And so, you know, really, um, you know, doesn't know how else to reanimate his brother except by offering his own heart to do it with. And then of course the brother wakes up and is just like, oh, okay, well we can make a heart out of like do this and this and this and this. Um so um but that's kind know, of that sacrificial concept comes back. That's kind of funny too, because afterwards it's just sort of like, well just go go hit that tree a little bit more. And uh you know, then, then you'll get this heart and, uh, you know, it, it, which of course that's, uh, you know, I was actually going to bash Ultima seven just a few minutes ago because for some reason, the only thing I could think of was the shrine of compassion in Nastasia. But really, even then it's not even, it doesn't really, it doesn't even really go anywhere. There's not a lot you can do for her as far as like, you can find out what happened to her father. Yeah. 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 But anyway. But, you know, it's interesting too. Um, I mean, there there is a certain theological interestingness to the test of love on the Isle of Fire. And that's, you know, you have the one golem who um, acting entirely out of love sacrifices everything and then out of that you know it's not just that now you've traded one golem's life for another i mean you have in a momentary sense but out of that sacrifice comes something even greater you know 
I mean, yes, it basically just involves hitting a tree a whole bunch of times, but the point is that out of that initial sacrifice, you know, now both golems are able to be alive again um, because one was willing out of love to make a sacrifice to bring back the other who could then in turn bring him back as well. So, you know, there's, there's some theological, you know, there's something theological there because that is something that at least in my faith journey, I've seen that happen. Uh, I see it happen with my wife a lot. Um, it's just, you know, you get to these points where you just are like, all right, look, I, I have to hand this one off. This one is all up to you, Lord. And the results are always interesting, you know, because you get more back than you give up. Um, maybe not necessarily in the same form as in the case of the test of love, but certainly in terms of, you know, that, um, ah, I can't even think of a word right now. There's just, you know, just in terms of that, like that richness, uh, and that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how that often works out and it's neat to see that captured, at least in some way in the game. Yeah, I would agree. I, I've always thought that was uh, an interesting part of those three tests. I would have to say out of the three tests, uh, the love test is probably my favorite of uh, Forge of Virtue, um, mainly because courage takes a long time. <laughs> truth truth doesn't take long enough, and love is just this nice, happy medium there. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned theological implications. I, you know, I think to Hebrews chapter 10, where, uh, I mean, the author is talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and how much better that was than the sacrifice of, of bulls and goats. And, and there's no way that there was no way that these animal sacrifices could take away sin. Um, and, you know, it says by that will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Um, and then later on in the chapter, verse 18, now there is now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And so, uh, you know, the distinction I would make there is that uh, in terms of especially the sacrifice of Jesus, there's nothing else. Uh, so so Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. Um, uh, he was raised the third day. Um, but that sacrifice is the sacrifice for the forgiveness of mankind. And, uh, you know, I, I think that would be the big distinction I make because, you know, the, the, the golems is sort of like no harm, no foul. Uh, but I think as you rightly pointed out, you at least have the individual compassion and uh, willing to sacrifice uh, the golem, willing in love to sacrifice it himself so that he could uh, allow the other golem to live. Yeah. Golem. Yeah. Yeah, I guess now I'm, <laughs> I'm cross-pollinating pronunciations between uh, Tolkien <laughs> and... All right, I'm going to cut it off there, and we will be back next week to wrap that up. We've got a couple more weeks left of this. Pentecost is May 15th. So, until then, rather until next week, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.